Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You want me to go high school? Just look mad as well. Off you go. All yours. Good evening and uh, welcome to New Zealand Sport Radio. I'm Stephen Harris, your host for this evening. Just before we intro our two guests, who hopefully will show up very shortly, please contact us on uh, Facebook if you are following the show. And if you have any questions to ask, please make sure you put a like on the page. So uh, hopefully by now at least one of our guests would have arrived, but it looks like I'm just doing it on solo at the moment, Paul. So uh, tonight we have uh, two men who know their rugby very, very well. Firstly, he's from South Africa, but don't hold that against him. We've actually let him stay in the country because the man knows his rugby. Our second guest, who I will introduce you to in a one moment, has used this man as an analyst. Good evening, John O'Connor, if you're there. Nope, he's not there. It's just me and he you. Hasn't ar- he hasn't arrived. And our second guest, well, he's commentated at three Olympic Games, Beijing, London, Rio, and a multiple number of sports for Sky Sport, he was also a host for Radio Sport. When it comes to the national game, he is not short of opinion. Good evening, Mark Watson. Hopefully, you're there. Nope, he's not there. No, he no, he's not there either. So, at the other end, there we've got Paul Baines. Good evening, Paul. How are you? <laughs> I don't think you've got me either. You can't hear me, can you? I can hear you very. I can hear you very clearly. Oh, good. I can hear you coming through. Well, this evening we were supposed to have a couple of guests, so hopefully we'll we'll get them to uh, jump on the show very, very shortly. But uh, just before the guys maybe actually turn up, Paul, anything happening in rugby at this time? Yes, we've had the top, um, the the, the best paid 15 players in the world, haven't we? And we could have talked about it briefly this morning on the morning sports briefing, um, where you and Ashwin were both like, hey, Luatua, number five, good money. That's well spent. I'm not sure it is, to be honest with you, but there you go. Yeah, it, it's it, it's sort of quite interesting, I, I suppose. Specific clubs are are looking for a, a a certain type of player at the time, and what's he's ended up at at Bristol with with Pat Lamb. Some of the games that I've actually seen in the uh, in the Galahad Premiership, he's looked pretty tidy for. From, from what I have seen of him. So whether he's worth the sort of money that they're, they're talking about, Paul, it's it's really hard to know. Yeah, it is really hard to know. I mean, but the 
it's a question of guess who who else can you get in those positions but he he's number so he's number five uh, i'm trying to find a list now but i can't there it is there's the top list um which is uh which is impressive but obviously I mean, we, as we talked about this morning um lots of um uh fly halves in there as well not many forwards i mean there's uh Mario Toji at three, Stephen Luatua at five, um, M- Michael Hooper at nine, and um, that's it. Just those three. Everyone, uh, all the rest are backs. Um, so yeah, three out of the top fifteen are forwards. Um, no Brody Retallick, uh, who has been World Player of the Year, or anyone like that either. Mm. I, I remember Paul, you, you had a list. Um, I think about a year ago when we were doing a show on the. Uh, the driving wall, and you sort of mentioned what some of these players were, were were getting paid, and we sort of had a list where I know in France in the top fourteen, the the props were very well paid. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Really, that yeah, the the props would were were, were were well played, weren't they? But um, and the wingers had changed quite quite dra- dra- dramatically. But even but, I mean, looking at this, the only outside back that I can oh um, that I can really see on here is um, Stuart Hogg. Uh, who's down at Exeter Chiefs? All the rest, uh, you're looking. Well, actually, sorry, Stuart Hogg and um, Charles Piertel. They're the two two fullbacks there. Everyone else: you Pollard, Pollard, Farrell, Bigger, Sanchez, Para, um, Sexton, Russell, Barrett, Fafterclerk. Nine players who are in that nine and ten jersey, and then Manu Tuolangi, also the, the the final person I've not mentioned yet, is the only centre who is on the list. So, yeah, clearly a lot of people. Um, talking about those, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, nines and tens in there. Interestingly enough, we talk about the spending power of Japan. Not one Japanese player, or not one player playing in Japan, is on the list, which is interesting. Um, all of them are based. Well, you've obviously got uh, Bowden Barrett here in New Zealand. Um, you've got Hooper uh, in Australia. All the rest based in England and France. Um, so. Unsurprisingly, with Saracens breaking that salary cap, they have two players in the top four, in number three and number four, in Maria Toji and Aaron Farrell. Um, and uh, I'd say Bristol got that number one and number five. So you've got to wonder, yeah, as to Bristol's salary cap and how they're, how they're coping. I know they talk a lot about them having um, a lot of junior players in there and players who have uh, sort of been there for one or two years. Um, so, uh, yeah, just a, a couple of star players amongst... Um, quite a few players aren't getting paid so much. And you've got to wonder, really, as to how does that work in a dressing room when you know that uh, there's players getting paid, well, five, six times as much as you are sat next to you? I mean, are they putting in six, five or six times as much effort as you are? Do they really deserve that much more? I'm not sure they do, really, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you kind of do wonder. I, I, I sort of look at somebody... Uh, like like Dan Bigger is is Dan Bigger now and just as important as what Johnny Sexton was to Ireland, Paul? Um, probably not. We um, we we have got John. John is joining us. Welcome, John. Good evening, gentlemen. Good, good evening, evening, sir. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank well, you. Well, we've got we've got one of the dastardly duo on. Hopefully, uh, Mr. Watson gets in here and, and, and does join us at some stage. Now, I've uh, I've uh, flicked him a text. You flicked him the link. So, hopefully, during the conversation, yeah. uh, he actually joins us. But uh, for anybody just streaming or tuning in, uh, our, our guest who's just joined us is uh, uh, John O'Connor, and uh, 
one of the better analysts when it comes to uh, especially South African rugby around, but he's well ensconced here in New Zealand these days, and uh, fantastic to have you on, John. I hope you're well. How's lockdown been? Uh, it's good. Thank you, mate. I'm sorry I'm a bit late. I was in a meeting, but uh, yeah, it's a privilege to join you guys, especially if Wada's not here. So then we can talk about all the beauties of South African rugby and the spring box, being world champions and the Sharks top of the table and all of that before he comes and reigns in my parade. Okay, thanks. That's great to have you on, John. Can we just cut him off now, Paul? I think we can probably get rid of him now. <laughs> yeah, we can just <laughs> listen, listen, living in New Zealand after 57-0, it wasn't easy, but only, no. the, the, only the strong survived, you know? So, very, uh, very tough, very, very tough time. Hopefully, hope, listen. Hopefully, Watto, hopefully Watto will join us at at some some stage during the evening. But what we were just talking about before we get on, we'll get onto a couple of articles that he he wrote a couple of years ago in and around New Zealand rugby. What we were discussing mm. though was the top fifteen players in the world. Um, mm. on Andre Pollard or Andre Pollard and Charles Pieto, the two mm. most expensive players around two point oh five million, mm. and um. Then you sort of look through the list. Mario Toje, Owen Farrell, Stephen Luatua at 1.33 million. Um, yeah, still still all the money is is pretty still pretty much in the Northern Hemisphere, isn't it? It is hugely. And and if you think about the fact that these are two players, specifically Luatua and very much Opieta, who were on the edge of the all black uh, selection. So they were on the bubble, a little bit in, a little bit out, not not really a definite uh, selection, not really favoured by the powers that be at the time. And I'd love to know for certain when it was that Piotr took that that uh, that thing. Wasn't it the year of the Lions or the year before the Lions came? I can't remember the exact date that uh, yeah, Piotr took that contract. His yeah, first contract. Mate. Yeah, it may have been may have been two thousand and sixteen. Of course, there was a there was an agreement of uh, of thoughts with the New Zealand uh, Rugby Union, and, and obviously something something went astray mm. there. And I know the New Zealand Rugby mm. Union were, were pretty annoyed about what uh, transpired. In fact, they to say they don't hold a grudge, they do because I think the following mm -hmm. year there was the opportunity for for Pieto to play for the Blues, and they were looking around yes. for a fullback at the time, and they he pretty much mm. got told in no uncertain terms that he that he yeah. wasn't wanted. Good, pretty handy sort of footballer when you when you mention those two. Mm. Well, if so, you think about twenty fifteen, was when it was, and that, and uh, he didn't get taken to the Rugby World Cup because of it as well. That was part of the, oh, uh, the right. I knew it was. I knew it was one of the significant selections that because he had already announced his candidate that he was going to take that overseas, he missed out. So that was it. He he announced that he was going to. Uh, leave at the end of the year for the Northern Hemisphere for a huge pay, pay packet, and they promptly left him out of the World Cup squad. Uh, well, and they, if you they, think they it's for... because he had a he had he had a contract agreed, he had signed it but hadn't returned it. So as far as New Zealand Amazing. rugby was concerned, as far as Hanson Hanson was concerned, he'd had a handshake or he had a he had a verbal agreement. Therefore, he had an agreement, um, but obviously he didn't do anything legally wrong because he hadn't returned mm. the signed paper. But um, yeah. but they, they yeah they, they they lost trust in him because of that. Well, here's yeah. the thing: just on a pure ability level, it's four years later, and his pay packet in the northern hemisphere has gone up significantly. 
to take him to 2.07 million a year, something ridiculous, one point, I can't remember the exact figure in that article, but it actually has increased. And he is playing for, for a series of clubs and club owners who are businessmen, and they consider him worth that amount of money. Mm. Now just interesting, interestingly, a, a player on that list who a few years ago, and I, and I think he's just fallen by the wayside, Nicolas Sanchez. I know when he was mm-hmm. running around playing Super Rugby, I think the mm-hmm. first year that Argentina came into uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the championship, he really looked mm-hmm. good. Is it fair to say that he's just dropped off the radar a little bit? Yeah, because he wasn't around, right? So they've had this policy of almost exclusively, they made a rare, one or two rare exceptions of selecting only from the Jaguares. And what's happened as he took a, again, he took a pay increase and went back to France, they've had the rise of this really good replacement number 10 that is younger, more dynamic, uh, more mercurial ball in hand. Having said that, Sanchez was a huge part of the revitalization of how they played under the encouragement of Graham Henry. So even though he's not the biggest of number 10s, he certainly is a number 10 with a huge amount of ability to get his back line away. Mm-hmm. Now, good evening, yeah. everybody. You're listening to or you're watching or you're streaming a New Zealand uh, sport radio. Our guest this evening is uh, analyst John O'Connor. We were supposed to have Mark Watson in. We were Hopefully he might turn up any minute, but we'll keep the show rolling along. And uh, speaking of rolling a- along, we one of the subjects we were going to talk about this evening is the performance of the New Zealand Rugby Football Union. Of course, earlier in, in the year, the McKinsey report was uh, released and uh, they're a, a very big uh, consultancy company that the New Zealand Rugby Union paid quite a bit of money to put together a report to probably tell us something about the game that we already knew. But our guest that we were going to have on this evening, Mark Watson, pretty much has been, uh, how can I How can I say, he's, I wouldn't say, he's certainly somebody who's kept the, the New Zealand Rugby Union honest over the years. And back in 2018, October 2018, uh, Watto read an article about New Zealand rugby. Pretty much, I'll just read the heading. When it comes to New Zealand rugby, Steve Hansen has too much control and power, and it's becoming more and more detrimental to the game. 50, picking 51 players for an end-of-the-year tour is just ridiculous. And in doing so, Hansen and New Zealand Rugby have you devalued the All Black jersey, the brand, and what it means to be an All Black. And he mentions a, a whole lot of other, other players that were pretty much taken on that extended tour. And um, you often think to yourself as a supporter, sort of watching all this unflow, unfold, a lot of this takes a lot of money. And, of course, the McKinsey report pretty much came out and it, what it pretty much said financially was the New Zealand Rugby Union was in a lot of trouble so you, you could almost say what is almost like the, the second coming with uh, with some of the um, the points that he's, that he's made I know I'll touch you might hear you. In one moment. I know I'm we hoping that he listens I'm hoping that he listens uh, so he can jump on yeah, if he just hears your, oh my word <laughs> just your just your initial thoughts on on that John Look, uh, and again, I'm, I'm going to take every opportunity to say nice things about Wado before he gets on here, right? And, <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I will credit Wado with is he's always been prepared to have an opinion and a, and voice it. And then when he's proven wrong, he's prepared to front up and say, I got that wrong. And he did that when he decried the 
continued selection of Dan Carter leading up to the 2015 World Cup. And then Carter went on to just be, you know, the the standout, for me, the standout performer in that World Cup, especially in the final few matches. And, uh, and, and to his credit, what I said, I got that wrong. But certainly the overemphasis that we saw on the All Blacks, the overemphasis, uh, and I, by the way, agree that one of the strengths of New Zealand rugby is that everybody is focused on making the All Blacks great. But I think that there can be an, a loss of balance there because the All Blacks are great if club rugby is great. Mm. Right? If the decisions are being taken to strengthen every level in order to make the All Blacks great, it's not strengthen the All Blacks at the expense and by weakening the lower levels that hold the All Blacks up. And that is what Water has been talking about for some time. And the one that stands out for me strongly is what happened at the last World Cup. There were a number of players. Look, remember, sevens, um, you can experience what South Africa did in the quarterfinal already won when they lost their turbocharged player, Sabelo Sinatla, and he broke his he broke his forearm after the quarterfinal was won, and that cost him the semifinal and a shot at, at gold. You can have it, because it's seven minutes and a half, and it just goes like this. You can have these instantaneous moments, but that that All Black squad played above itself to get silver. If you had sprinkled in the players who wanted to be there and allowed them to take uh, that, remember it finishes in at the, at the Olympics, Rio Olympics were finishing in August, September, somewhere around there. Plenty of time to get them back into the swing by the time the following June, the Lions were coming. And if you'd allowed players like Barrett, like Ben Smith, like Adi Sevier, to be able to take part in the Olympics and still have confidence that they would be in the strong reckoning for the Lions, I think that New Zealand had a very, very real chance of coming home with the gold. And what happened was there was all this focus on winning the Lions. And let's be honest, everything was, no, we didn't say this, we didn't say this, we didn't. But we, we know, right, that players withdrew their names for consideration because they didn't, uh, when it comes to playing in the Olympic squad, because they didn't want to lose out on the chance of playing in the Lions the following year against the Lions. Mm-hmm. Remember, it only comes every 12 years, that opportunity for New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, for player there, comes every 12 years. So for them, they didn't want to lose out on that opportunity. And New Zealand lost out, I, I believe, on... You know, there's no guarantees in the sport in Fiji were magnificent, but they had a very good shot of bringing home the gold with that kind of talent. And what happened? New Zealand still did not beat the Lions. Drawn series. And there's a whole, you know, things we can talk about that. But just because you slide all the chips across the table and invent, and, and take from a rob from Peter to pay Paul, which is the All Blacks, I don't think that was the intention that Jock Hobbs had and the people who very wisely set up the system in 96 that has seen New Zealand perform so well in super rugby and be the top rugby nation for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Good evening to, oh, well, good evening to uh, Simon Hughes, who's, on the, uh, who's on the chat room. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, looks like we've got our, uh, our second guest here who I'll introduce to you uh, very, very shortly. If, he, if he's there, if we've got him in studio. How are we? How are we? Yeah, not... 
Yep, well, listen, I'm going to give you the big build-up. Now, second guess, he's commentated at three Olympic Games, Beijing, London and Rio, and a multiple number of sports commentating for Sky Sports. He was also a host for Radio Sport, and when it comes to the national game, we know he's not short of a word. Good evening, Mark Watson. Evening, welcome. I've just sort of jumped on the back of what Steve, um, sorry, of what my good friend um, John O'Connor said out of, um, or these days a Kiwi, but a South African. Um, yeah, fascinating just going back and touching on the Rio uh, Olympics. Uh, uh, look, I, I think Steve Chu and Steve Hansen have a hell of a lot to answer for. The game is an absolute mess. Those guys established a hierarchy which was all around the All Blacks. They were bullies. I think Chris Ratu summed it up when he described New Zealand rugby as the Kremlin. You know, people go on about Steve Hansen, this great All Black coach. Well, I just think that's utter, utter crap. He... he had every resource thrown at him. He had 25 to 30 staff. He could rest players during Super Rugby, a competition which he just slowly eroded. He, he could have a longer build-up to test matches than any other international side in the world. And at times, we were only just getting the job done. And I'll still say this, and I think South Africa are very close, but I still think we've got the best talent in the world. Now, you go back, you know, Steve Hansen came out when people were talking, myself talking about Super Rugby and why the All Blacks are resting players. And Steve Hansen came out and said, hey, you know, everyone's got to make a sacrifice for the greater good of trying to win a damn Rugby World Cup. Well, where was the sacrifice from him in 2016 for those Olympic Games for Sue Gordon Titchens? There was none. Everybody put their hand up a year out. New Zealand Rugby had come out and said it's the second biggest priority behind the 2015 Rugby World Cup. They said that in 2014. Mm. We were playing the damn Welsh side in June, which we would have beaten. We would have beaten with a B team. That Welsh team had played continuously prior to the start of the mm. Rugby World Cup in 2015 and warm-up games had gone all the way through. They had played for 365, 390 days. And isn't Steve Hansen the one that says oh, you know, fatigue gets the better of our players. You know, you can tell a player, you can simply walk up to Bowden Barrett and go, boy, that Richie Mwang is playing well, mate. Boy, you wouldn't want him to get an opportunity. In <laughs> you know, the irony is here, the last time rugby was at the Olympic Games, it was 1924. We didn't have a team there then. And guess what our 1924 All Blacks were called? The Invincibles. 2016, and we've learnt nothing. Look, I'll say this. There's no guarantee we would have beaten Fiji, but I think we would have played gold or silver. Fiji on their day can beat anybody, but we would have meddled. Now, people sit here and go, oh, yeah, but it's only sevens. Okay, but we've called our sevens team the damn All Black sevens. So around the world, it just gets reported as the All Blacks. So we've got this aura. Yep. We're invincible. We're invincible. The All Blacks are invincible. Suddenly you go to the Olympic Games, you get beaten by Japan. How's it reported around the world? Japan beat mm -hmm. the All Blacks. You want to damage yep. and erode a brand, you call it the All Blacks and don't throw the same resource into it. It's like taking the fish and chip shop down the road and suddenly putting the McDonald's sign out the front and you turn up and get some tooth burger from the guy behind the bar with no teeth and call it a Big Mac. <laughs> and you wonder why McDonald's reputations end up getting damaged. Absolutely. No, seriously. Seriously. Okay, and then let's go on. So let's then talk about these clowns with rest and rotation. Well, our players need to have five weeks off in Super Rugby, and they've got to have a three-month thing. Well, how did it help us? How the hell did it help us when we lost to Ireland in 2017 and looked pretty marginal on the end of the year tour? Let's move forward then to 2018. So we've had rest and rotation. 
We go out, we get beaten by South Africa and Wellington. And then Steve Hansen says, watch out a wounded All Black team. We're going to get out there and we're going to show you some revenge. I tell you what, we shouldn't have won that game. We won it the last minute. We were dead and buried with 10 minutes to go. Then we go across, we narrowly beat England. You know, there was a inch in that try. England should have won that test. Then we go and lose to Ireland. Okay, so I'm trying to document here where the performance enhancement is coming from rest and rotation. 2019, let's go to the Rugby World Cup. Hey, we'll rest and rotate at the start of the year. And what happens? We lose the Rugby World Cup. Steve Hansen is a myth. Steve Chu is a myth. I wrote an article two years ago, and I'll say this, Steve, to you right now. I said at the end of that article, the next administration will clean up this mess. You can make the sacrifices. You can bastardise and ruin Super Rugby at your expense, but you must win the Rugby World Cup. Because what Hanson and Chu have done, they've made everything about the All Blacks. They made it all about the All Blacks. So we, as rugby fans in this country, became All Black fans. So Super Rugby became meaningless because Steve Hansen made it meaningless. Mitre 10 Cup, well, that became meaningless, just made for television. Okay, so what are we reduced to? We're reduced now to the All Blacks. And then what does Steve Hansen do? When we do lose, it's all about the Rugby World Cup. So what's he done then? They've reduced it to once every damn four years now. So what has rugby got? Why is it relevant? Why should people care? And at the same time, they shut the media down. They controlled the media. Guys like me had no chance at all. They had a number of journalists who I worked with in their damn pockets. It was just simply a PR firm. Now what's happening? No one talks about the game anymore because there's nothing to talk about. The coaches are sanitised. You know, what's the wonderful thing about English Premier League football? Well, the managers are bigger than the players. You know, this coach doesn't get on with that coach. They're the sidelines. They're the stories. They're the discussions. No one talks anymore. And some of the broadcasters are suffering here too because they've become PR firms as well. So is there any buzz around our key broadcasters anymore? Is there any reason to tune in Monday through Friday? No, no. We'll be a PR firm for New Zealand rugby. But at the same time, let's just watch our share price crash. Because at 7 o'clock at night, what level of engagement are you giving me? I'm going to sit down and go, well, I can watch Ozark, so I can watch, um, mm. I can watch, um, you know, these police shows, Line of Duty and stuff, gripping television. Or I can tune in and watch a bunch of former All Blacks sit around and tell us how great New Zealand rugby is. I'll give you a mm. classic example. Last week, last week, we had Scott Robertson come out and tell us the grilling he got he, the grilling, grilling he got for Graham Henry. I'm not going to call him Sir Graham Henry. I don't believe in that bullshit. Okay, another myth. So anyway, so we've got these guys on here saying nothing. Scott Robertson says, hey, I got hammered by Sir Graham Henry in this interview process. Where the hell is the follow-up on that? Where are these All Blacks part of this group sitting down going, hey, let's get to the bottom of this. Is Graham Henry a bully? Was this a done deal? No, there's none of that discussion because we can't upset New Zealand rugby. The bullies of New Zealand sport, you know what? They deserve this. No one's interested anymore. The game is in trouble. We are Wales, 1980, moving to 1981, 1982. We've <laughs> got the talent, mate, but people don't care anymore. There's no discussion. Hanson and Chu should be damn well ashamed of themselves for what they've done to this damn game. Knighting that guy. That is appalling. My wife works on the front lines. She should be the one getting the damn knighthood for what she's done. Not some guy earning $700,000 who killed the damn game. You know, he talked about experience. Oh, we've got to play experience. We've got to play experience. And what did he do? Come the World Cup semi-final. He forgot all about experience. Played a player who should never have been an all-black in Geordie Barrett at fullback. 
You know, they've arguably the best fullback for the last eight years on the damn sidelines. Yeah. You know, goes and plays. Scott Barrett, what is it with the Scott Barrett? Is, 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 what, is he the father? Is he the father of these kids? Because the Barretts get a free bloody ride, you know, and you leave <laughs> Sam Kane on the damn bench. You know, and all we heard about in the years leading up with the losses, don't worry, come the World Cup, come the World Cup, we'll be right. No, we weren't. We were on a decline from 2016 onwards, and he should never have been re-signed in 2018. Right, Watto, that, that was very, very impressive. You arrived 10 minutes late, but you made up for that 10 minutes in about uh, seven minutes, mate. So that was really, really, really impressive. Can I Connor? Can I congratulate John on South Africa? Now, look at this. Let's talk about building for a four-year plan. South Africa, 2017, beaten 57 bloody nil at North Harbour Stadium. Two years later, win the Rugby World Cup. This planning four years out is just a crock of shit. Please, just start playing test matches. Just start winning. Put your best damn players on the field. Have your best damn players playing super rugby. And allow the bloody media to discuss the game once we like we did once with the Laurie Mains debate. That's what New Zealand rugby is lacking. Guys like me get shut down. Mm. They wonder why Radio Sport closes down because you get this vanilla, absolutely nobody says anything bullshit and no one watches in a world where we need to be engaged. Mm. Who's the most read columnist in New Zealand? Chris Ratu. Why? Because Chris Ratu comes out and says things. So you would think these media organisations might go, wow, why do people read Chris Ratu? Oh, because he has an opinion. Maybe there is something in opinion. Oh, but we can't have an opinion. We might upset somebody. What you've got a you got a couple of fans. You got a couple I'm of fans so, on uh, Robert Robert says inhale, what a Robert Robert I've been waiting Robert, for my little I've been waiting for I've been waiting for I've been waiting for my little crack, Robert. And I tell you Robert, what, I'm not too far away from the podcasts and stuff coming, mate. And I will go after these clowns in every damn sense. The game is in trouble, John, and it started with two. And finished with Hanson. And now Mark Robertson, I hate to say, he's got one hell of a job to clean up. You know, you get these damn sports, you get these union guys on, you know, the CEOs of these different unions. You get them off here and they'll tell you one thing. You put them on here and they're terrified of New Zealand rugby. You know what? I went and, I went and applied for a CEO role of a small rugby union. Probably about, well, last year sometime. CV was pretty good. And I outlined my issue about trying to grow the game. And I talked about concussion, an area we really needed to address. And I talked about some age group representative sides where you might have them weight restricted. So you rewarding lighter players, players who haven't matured, haven't got, you're going through puberty a bit later, who you can build later. You know, we all know that guys like the Conrad Smiths and the Mertens wouldn't make it in Auckland. I addressed a whole lot of the concussion issues, the engagement, you know, all of these other things. But I knew, I knew this little point that I put in my cover letter would not get me across the line. And the point I put in there, we need to work with other rugby unions to get a great a slice of the financial pie. Rugby unions got to start putting more back into the provincial union, start looking after club rugby. You know what? I later found out those particular board members clearly had political ambitions to be on the New Zealand rugby board. So it's not just at a CEO level, it's beyond that. It's all about politics. It's all about politics. You know, if you want to get club rugby back in this country, you don't need to go out and spend a million dollars on a whole lot of these damn rugby reports. What you do is you go to Sky, the host broadcaster, and you say, Sky, stop broadcasting schoolboy rugby because schoolboy rugby has become the stepping stone now to higher honours. It's no longer club rugby. And the problem with schoolboy rugby being the stepping stone to higher honours, too much of it is based on size. Yeah, Club rugby is dead. Get rid of the schoolboy yeah. stuff. 
focus on club rugby if you're going to put anything on TV. And I think you start to turn the game around a little bit. Well, I'll just let you yeah. catch your breath a wee bit. You've got a couple of fans that have uh, that jumped on Facebook. Simon Hughes goes uh, spot on. Loves he obviously likes what you what you're saying. He also says you, he loves your uh, baseball commentaries as well. So keep up the good work there. And uh, of course, Robert Bull had to weigh in as well. I'm very disappointed here. He said not enough Mount Albert Grammar players in the All Blacks. Okay, we won't we won't oh, have that guy on again. Good man, Robert. <laughs> uh, John, o, John O'Connor, listen. Mm. A lot what Mark says there, you know, very, very passionate. And he's come off the long run. He started the run over in Bethel's Beach, and I think he's ended up at Murawai. But, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot in what Mark says. It's, it's pretty accurate. Well, I've got two things that I must say first up. One is to ask Wado, please, please close that door behind you because you've got no room to back away now, boy. <laughs> you, you, you can put the truck in reverse. But there's no backing out of what you just said. <laughs> so. well, do, I look, do I look like I care, mate? I just don't care. No. You know, I'm, second, sick and tired. I'm sick and tired, John, as a broadcaster, yeah. being told I didn't get it. No, yeah. mate. I look at all these media companies. Their share prices are all crashing. They can't sell advertising. Yeah. Don't tell me yep. I don't get it. I get it. Yeah. And then secondly, um, and then I'll deal with some of the things what I spoke about, but I'm, I'm – I'm wondering whether I should mention the fact that it looks like Steve has an Auckland Blues jersey hanging up behind him. But I thought if I mention Auckland uh, on top of everything else, then we might we might not get what a before sort of ten thirty. John, John I, watch, I watch the Blues regularly. You find them these days on the History Channel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Brilliant! Look. Certain, certainly, there are there are things about New Zealand rugby that has made New Zealand uh, the the nation that it is at the forefront of world rugby that we seem to be allowing to slip through our fingers. And I, I really do appreciate what what Wado said about, for instance, weight group rugby. And this may seem like a small thing, but this is that I want to make two points. One is uh, about. Nine years ago, I wrote a series for rugby365.com and I compared South African rugby to New Zealand rugby. At that stage, I was living in South Africa. I had no idea I would wind up living in New Zealand. And I was writing, I had a column called The View from the Couch and I was a regular columnist for Rugby365. And I wrote a series comparing New Zealand to South African rugby. And at that stage, there was still... You know, this is quite a few years, six years prior to 57-0. And there was still this idea in South Africa that South Africa could match up to New Zealand because historically for 95 years they did. So I looked at the results and I looked at how New Zealand was disappearing into the distance when it came to results, uh, positive points, differential, et cetera, et cetera. And then I looked at some of the differences in the way the game was run and the way the game was played the way the game was coached. And one of the things that came up as different was this overemphasis on size and strength in South Africa versus skills in New Zealand. So in the 90s, there was this concern that a lot of, because the New Zealand Rugby Union was very carefully nurturing and watching the game, and they were analysing 
the player engagement and they saw this drop off in numbers, especially among white boys. And they had the what they were seeing was the result of the concern of, of the parents, especially the moms, that their kids were going to get smashed because the uh, please excuse me, this is not meant in any way to be controversial, but it, it's the perception was that hey, hey, Pacifica, go on, you, got, uh, you got me on the show, mate. Controversy, don't worry about it. Okay, you guys, okay, all right. So, um, Pacifica and Maori players were perceived to mature earlier and to fill out and strengthen and get larger earlier. So they're worried about their boys getting smashed. And so New Zealand instituted weight group rugby to allow for the development of skills. So it meant that as opposed to South Africa, where among the young kids, they would just give the ball to the biggest kid and he would then charge up the field and have five or six kids hanging on to him and everybody go, oh, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. In New Zealand, the bigger, stronger kids were having to play with older children that were within the same sort of, I think it's a five kilogram weight group. And as a result, you can't just simply run over people. And so you develop the ability to play into space, to step to, and a, a, a brilliant example is Kevin Mialamu, who had such an ability to just, if not beat the first tackler, at least get outside of the ta- first tackler's shoulder. And as such, just get his body past the first tackler in order to make an offload or at least to have a beautiful placement of the ball, right? As opposed to somebody like Bismarck Duplessis, an absolute freak of nature, a greater athlete than Kevin Mialamu. Not that Mialamu was not athletic, but Bismarck Duplessis was, was a freak. But he didn't have that innate ability to shift the hips and just move. So I noticed when my sons came here, and they were starting to play uh, club rugby, that this emphasis on weight group rugby was just draining away. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I was seeing my sons playing boys that were quite a bit larger than everybody else on the field. And this is in a a strong union. Waikato is a strong union. This is playing in Hamilton. And so this this was being being lost from from the game, this emphasis on skills, right? Well, when I say strong, let's put it this way. This is not a small country union. There's a lot of clubs and there's a lot of engagement. And muster at the the start of the year at some of these clubs is enormous for the kids. So that's the one point. The other point that that Wado raises that is really worth looking at is from the moment that I arrived here in New Zealand, I was very disappointed with the level of rugby analysis and engagement that was available to watch on TV and in, and on radio. And I'm not saying that South Africa is brilliant. I'm not in any way. There are a few notable exceptions, like Nick Mallett, who has always been fearless and is well known for when... <laughs> I'll just give you an example because this is funny. But uh, he was selected for the junior Springboks to play the Springboks in a, a warm-up game in the mid-'80s. They had some faux test match. I can't remember exactly. And the junior Springboks beat the the uh, the actual Springbok team. And he hadn't been selected for the Springboks. He was playing eight, number eight. And as he walked off, he flipped the bird at the selectors, right, um, at the end of the game. So he's notorious for not holding back. And with the exception of Mallet, also not a lot of in-depth analysis of the game. But I was very disappointed to see how much glad-handing there was from many of the so-called pundits when it came to looking at the game. And I think it is a huge 
I think it's a huge, hugely disrespectful to the rugby fans of New Zealand who, in a large proportion, all played the game, have an understanding of the game and are watching this modern game unfold before them and want to get more into the technicalities, for instance. They want to be able to, to, to discuss why they played right, right, right. Why they why why did Bowden Barrett keep on kicking cross kick cross? Oh, because he was pulling the wing up so that they could then attack in another place. Whatever the situation may be, so little in depth analysis of actually what's happening on the field. Almost as if if this was opened up to the rugby watching pop public, then the cat would be out the bag and the opposition would know. And that's rubbish because their analysis is just a whole another level, right? And the same goes with the issues that Wado is talking about, that we don't want to ask the hard questions. It's asking no, no. the hard questions that keeps a sport mm. healthy. But, John, mm. John, it's not, about, it's not about not wanting to ask the hard questions. New Zealand rugby shut you mm. down. New Zealand rugby control the message. New Zealand rugby under Chu and Hansen want the message controlled. Chris Ratu summed it up. They are... The Kremlin. They wanted to control the message. You try and put a request in if you're not on their side to get Steve Hansen on your program. They don't want to come on. You almost had to go, well, if he doesn't come on, I'm going to get somebody on to talk about this issue. And you might not like their narrative, at which point they would put somebody on. But, you know, you'd go and appear on shows like Martin Devlin because he was in, you know, he had Devlin in his pocket. Um, no offence to Marty, but that's the way it goes. You know, Murray Deeker always said to me, if you want to do talkback radio well, don't become friends with anybody. And I tried yeah. very hard to do that. I, I don't care. These guys are not going to come to my 50th. They're not going to send me Christmas cards. I'm not going to send them Christmas cards. But I would have thought right now, if you look at, say, there's a lot of media out there in and around Sky Television and whether they're going to survive or not. Here they've gone and spent more money than they've ever spent on rugby. And I'll argue that they've spent money on a product which is clearly in decline. So from a business yeah. point of view, you look at it and go, does that make any business sense. No wonder people are sort of, you know, the share prices crash. But then you also understand they had to get it because without it, they're dead and buried. They should they want did. the discussion. They should want the discussion. They should want their television shows to create exactly. a buzz. They want their shows to be the things that you're talking about over coffee. Did you hear what Waro said? Did you hear what John O'Connor said? Did you hear what John Kerwin yeah, said? exactly. And suddenly exactly. other media are starting to pick up on it, and it's the narrative. And whether you are having to go at the CEO, Mark Robertson, or you're having to go at different coaches, it mm. doesn't matter. People then start to talk about the game. Then you encourage yep. the coaches to actually start talking about each other. You know, I think it's quite clear that Dave Rennie and these coaches in the past had no, absolutely no time whatsoever for New Zealand rugby. They put their head above the parapet. Really, they were never in the all-black frame, were they? They went overseas. They just couldn't be bothered anymore mucking around. Everybody knew yeah. that the coach was going to be Ian Foster. But then suddenly you've got people talking about the game, negatively, positively. Like, John, you weren't here in the yeah. early 1990s when um, Laurie Maines was made all-black coach, mate. I, I mean, seriously, it just polarised the country. But I tell you what, every game was a sellout. People were talking yeah. about then within the game, something would happen, a brilliant try, and suddenly people would talk about this kid called Christian Cullen or whoever, you know, Jonah Lomu. But you had people there engaged. And rugby, rugby cannot afford right now to not have the discussion, to not have the buzz. Sky can't afford to simply have people engaged on a Friday night and a Saturday night in a product no one really cares about anymore. The word of engagement, and there is a lack of engagement now, when it comes to sport and rugby, it's their own fault 
because they have shut it down in the past. They don't want anybody challenging the establishment. I mean, seriously, when is the interview coming with Scott Robertson about the interview process? When is somebody going to challenge Graham Henry about how hard he went on Scott Robertson and was he equally as hard on Ian Foster or was that a done deal? Of course it was a done deal. Of course, I said it on radio before I left. Given, doesn't matter what happens, however they want to communicate it, however they want to rationalise it, Ian Foster is your all-black coach, no matter what happens. And sure enough, they did. You know, the 26 mm. people, there, 26 people will apply. I mean, mm. Christ, go and tick the boxes, you know. Mm. Tick the boxes. What I'm just going to jump in, jump in there. Just a, a, a quick thing that's really been annoying me, and we've we've basically seen what's been happening in the NRL with the, the, the with the broadcasters in the NRL. A lot of toing and throwing going on. But one thing I, I can't understand about Sky, who are the broadcaster, who pay for the product, why do they allow the New Zealand Rugby Union to pull players out of Super Rugby? That just frustrates me. Not just myself, but a lot of good rugby because friends know in. Because I believe, I believe that historically they were so damn scared of losing Sky that they just ended up getting suckered in and bullied and that's what they said. But, yeah, the broadcasters should be saying, hey, this is not acceptable. I, I can't name another competition in the world, world-class competition, where they pull players out. It doesn't happen in English rugby, doesn't happen in English football, certainly doesn't happen in the NBA. It, it, you know, and, and when you can genuinely prove to me that it's a performance answer at the end of the season, I'll buy into it. But I'll tell you what, the two best players in the 2011 Rugby World Cup were Kevin Mialamu, as you've mentioned, and Jerome Kano for the All Blacks. Those guys played the entire Super Rugby season. They played all year round and they were simply magnificent. Mm. You know, we get there. So you think about rest and rotation. Well, most of these players are going to pick up an injury anyway. After about three Super Rugby games, there's a week off. So you're getting weeks off. Then you've got time off through injury. You've already had basically since December right through to January. I mean, most other people working normal jobs don't get that. The guy working in South Auckland in the toothbrush factory doesn't get that, does he? And yet at the end of the day, at the end of the day, where is the evidence to say that this rest and rotation policy works? And all it has done is killed Super Rugby. And you're right, Steve. The host broadcasters are sitting here going, why is there no engagement? Why is no one watching? Mm. because you've almost been complicit in it, but not intentionally. I like Sky TV. I'm a Sky TV guy. I don't work for them as such. I do some stuff which ends up on their line. But I'll, I'll say this now. Mm. If, if <clears throat> When this coronavirus thing ends, if they come out the other side and just do what they've been doing, mm. they are dead and buried. They are gone. Rugby mm. is dead and buried. They are gone. We need the discussion. We need the John O'Connors. We need the Mark Watson. At the same time, we do need the other side of the argument. We do need yeah. people of neutral. But you've got to have the discussion. Uh, you know, can I just interject here and, and say this very strongly? I see myself as a neutral person when it comes to looking at these issues. And there's a lot that New Zealand rugby has done that I take my hat off to. There's a lot that they have achieved that's been outstanding. But nobody gains if you uh, shoot the messenger at the door when somebody's asking you hard questions. And, you know, as, as a fairly new New Zealander that's been here coming up for four years now, I've watched these uh, daily press briefings and, mm -hmm. I've, and I've listened to the prime minister and the, the health minister and the this minister and that minister be grilled by the press either straight after uh, the daily... Uh, press announcement that they've had or on uh, Radio New Zealand, whatever it may be. 
and they ask hard, hard questions, and they 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 postulate stuff to these politicians that are not easy things to answer, and they are at times quite antagonistic in how they 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 ask these questions, and it it quite surprised me because it's a it's different to the sort of tenor of questioning of a politician that I was used to in South Africa. But the amazing thing for me, even more than how tough the questions were, would be how calmly and matter-of-factly the politician or whoever it was that was being grilled would answer that question. So yeah, well, there, was this, there, there was this sense of it was expected. I, as a person in a public position, I expect to be grilled about whether I'm doing my job properly. Yeah, well, John, right? this is what I remember. At the end of the day, we're the stakeholders. Now, there's, Correct. There's this, Correct. There's these former, so, there's these former rugby players who will always go, well, you've never played for the All Blacks, you shouldn't comment. And I, I just rubbish. sit there and go, well, you've never been a member of parliament, so you shouldn't vote and you shouldn't have any issues in and around exactly. politics. We as New exactly. Zealanders all have a right to talk rugby. The reason why these guys get paid a million bucks, most of them are pretty well set up these days, is because of the public, because of us. So please yes. don't put it up to one side and say that we don't have an opinion. It's funny exactly. because Chu and Hanson, Chu and Hanson, they master wonderful manipulators would come out and say, well, you know, the discussions, it's a good thing. It's always been a part of New Zealand rugby. Well, it used to be. And they sort of make out like that that was still the case. It wasn't the case. Well, my argument is, if I sat down with you and said, right, Steve Hanson, Mark Watson, no love lost here. We won't kiss. We won't cuddle. We'll come in from different sides of the stage. I'm going yeah. to sit down. If I do my job well, I come out well. If he answers those questions well, he looks good. Everybody wins, mate. He's yeah. answered the questions everybody wants. Now, people don't necessarily need to agree with what he said. He can put a bit of a spin on it. Let the public just yeah. side that. But this stuff where you've got to send through the questions and it's all manufactured oh, and, you know, nobody can say anything. Let's go at half time. Why? What are you going to tell us? Let's have the aftermatch speech. Oh, look, I remember when Tana Rumanga, and I said this, and I think you probably remember me, should never have been given the blues coach. I mean, to get the blues coach, yeah. you basically, got to be on the cover of Women's Day these days, you know. It's just whether you've got a brand, you know. It's yeah, got the yeah. brand. You know, Scott Robertson's just a little bit of a, you know, what, what is it, a square peg and a round hole type thing. And therefore, you know, he's sort of just a little bit too out there for, for the establishment. Yes, he, yet he would have actually been, um, he actually would have been a breath of fresh air. But I remember one of these bloody shows on Sky, and I think it was Jeff Wilson, you know, after the Blues got beaten again, and we'd lost, I don't know, third season. And, and, and it's like, oh, you've got to feel sorry for Tana. You know, you feel that the Blue, the, the, you know, the victory is just around the corner for him. No, Jeff, what you should be saying, mate, is, Another loss for Tanarumanga, Tuesday night, <clears throat> in the breakdown, we get stuck in. How long's this guy got? Should he be fired? Because in English Premier League football, he would be gone by now. Clearly, he can't coach. We're going to have that discussion. I tell you what, I'll probably tune in Tuesday night to see what they say. But instead, what will we do? Hey, let's give Tana a little cuddle. He's one of us. He's an All Black. The public don't understand how tough coaching is. No, the public don't understand how tough coaching is. You're right. The public doesn't understand why a guy who's losing is probably earning $400,000 to basically coach a team when most people are working 50 to 60 hours a week earning $50,000. No, they don't understand Tana. Hmm. It's that sort of mentality it is that mentality is what is wrong with the damn game. And then they're going to spend all this money on consultants about what's wrong with the game. 
Really? It's just box ticking. It's box ticking. It's like this political correct crap we have these days. Oh, no, we'll have a room, but we've got to have two women, and we've got to have two guys, we've got to have one Chinese fella, we've got to have one Maori fella, we've got to have one European fella. It doesn't matter whether they're any good or not, but we've just got to be seen to do the right thing. Meanwhile, your share price is dropping because three or four of them can't articulate or can't even talk. Mm. You know, it's no, just I, dumb. It's dumb. Stephen, I want to, I want to pose a question. I first really started getting into understanding New Zealand rugby post-95, 96, 97, 98, 99. And, and I became uh, pen pals back in the early days of email and everything like that with a wonderful seasoned uh, New Zealand and All Black supporter by the name of Patrick Innes. And he used to write a, a worldwide email that updated expats around the world around what was happening in New Zealand rugby. So the early days of the internet being widely accessible, right? Giving my age away here. And I remember just the, the, the angst, the absolute turmoil that New Zealand was in around 99 in that period when Graham Hart, I'll say it in a Kiwi accent, Graham Hart was in charge of uh, New Zealand rugby. There was a string of losses. There was a knockout uh, in the quarterfinal in 99, albeit to uh, absolutely sublime performance by the French. Uh, there was all this turmoil. Like we weren't as good as we should be, and we've lost games. And there was all this worry. But I remember that super rugby matches were packed to the rafters. Everybody, it seemed, from a distance, look, was talking about rugby. Everybody was engaged. Uh, it was the topic on people's lips. There was all this feeling that the All Blacks weren't that successful, but everybody was in, and everybody fiercely supported when Auckland played uh, Canterbury, when the Blues played the Crusaders. It was massive, right? And in a way, you could look back and you could go, oh, the All Blacks weren't that successful there, but it looked like rugby was a lot healthier than it looks now. John, yeah, yeah, John, can I, I can, I, can I stop? Can I stop you there, John? You, 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 you did right. I mean, to so say we, we definitely know that, and I know Mark will appreciate this comment. What basically New Zealand rugby has made—they've made a whole lot of All Black supporters. They've funneled it to the top, and unfortunately, they've just fallen asleep at at the wheel when it comes to the to the rest of the game because what they basically look at is an eighty percent audience from from overseas. That's what they look at where they get their sponsors wow. from. Overseas wow. sponsor. That's that's pretty much what they've done. They've worried so. There's so much focus on the All Blacks. They've actually forgotten mm. about the lower levels of the game. And the crazy well, thing about it is, it's going to be the lower levels of the game that puts this game pretty much on the map. Mm. Just got to say, what? There's a guy by the name of uh, AK who agrees with you about Hanson. He reckons yeah. Hanson was shown up once McCaw and Carter retired. Well, can I just say this of AK? He's clearly a very, very intelligent man. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, imagine that he, I'd imagine that he's incredibly good looking as well. Because birds of a feather flock together, you know. Um, but, but I see, I mean, you go back and you go back to the Blues, and in round one, you know, you'd have Zinzan Brock, you'd have Michael Jones, you'd have the greats on the field, you know, and they were there. And, and mm. you know, and, and later on, it was just, yeah, it, you know, the moment that, 
Graham Henry board and rest and rotation in 2007, the game changed here, it declined. And it's interesting just going back to like, I come from a high performance background, a lot of other sports, but I don't give a damn what the sport is. I think the definitions and and basic principles and stuff carry across. Well, the basic principles carry across, you change the definitions. But it's interesting because if you actually go back from when Henry took over after the 2003 World Cup, you know, we went on the end of the year, there was no rest and rotation. Our guys played Super Rugby, they played some MPC, and then they won a new year with the All Black Tour. Mm. And if you actually look at it, they put some of their best ever performances on in those years up to 2007 against the French. They were magnificent in France, 40-odd points here, 40-odd points there. They went through those end-of-the-year tours unbeaten. Now, those end-of-the-year tours were scheduled basically the same time the Rugby World Cup for 2007 was scheduled. So, it's simple. You know, as an athlete, you write everything down in a training diary and you have some good sessions. You go back and go, I wonder why I had a good session. So you count the day back and you go two days back, three days back, and you think, well, I might just put that into practice next week and see if it works. And suddenly you start to find a bit of a a, a template for success, you know, that you can then use in race week and in the weeks building up. And so you start not to find just, uh, Not just a pretty face, this Watson, eh? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so then you go, well, hey, now I've found my formula for success. So here we go. With all of this resource, all of this money, the 25 staff, the exercise physiologists, you sit there and go, really successful in the three years leading up to 2007 at the end of the World Cup by playing, everyone playing Super Rugby, by everybody playing Mighty 10 Cup, by everybody then going on the end of the year tour. And what happens? 2007, we just throw that out the door and we wonder why we get knocked out. We did a similar thing in lead up to this World Cup. Have we learned nothing about rest and rotation yet? Clearly we haven't. Clearly we have learned nothing about rest and rotation or playing players out of position, dropping players. When did we lose in 2003? I know Christian Cullen will play Leon McDonald, I think, at centre or something. Or we, you know, And then 99, we play Christian Cullen at centre. You know, all of this stuff. What do we do come this World Cup against England? We put Geordie Barrett at bloody fullback. We put Scott Barrett down at six. Why can we not learn from the past? Why do we document it? Why do we suddenly need to reinvent the wheel? It happens all the time at the Olympics. You get an athlete who turns up to the Olympics and they're favourite for the gold medal. You know why they're favourite? Because they've got it right. So what do they do in Olympic year? Because it's the Olympics, they think they need to change it. They need to train somehow differently or a bit harder. And then they wonder why they bomb out. Sometimes it's right there in front of you. I agree with you, Watto. It's about learning from the, the mistakes of the past. But I suppose mm-hmm. in terms of, of putting things right, I'm, I'm kind of looking at Super Rugby. We, we did a, a program on the, the driving mall a few weeks back and basically was the theme of the, the, the show was, shall we let Rome burn? And if we do let it burn, what do we say from the fire, if you recall, John? Um, just just for you, John, is, is Super Super Rugby still a go? Should we look? Should we be looking at a, a new competition? You, John? Not in not in this format, right? It's this this format, at least where they've taken it, is not a success. It, no, it no, isn't no. because the game has gone backwards when it comes to fan engagement, when it comes to uh, viewership. I understand that there are more entertainment art outlets there for you to click on what like Ozark or uh, 13 Reasons Why for the youngsters, whatever it may be. Yes, absolutely. But look at how the crowds have dropped, viewership has dropped, they've diluted the product, you know, and the way that, that they have tracked the game so far, 
There have been a couple of good things. I think the addition of the Jaguares was very important. I think it can go further somewhere, somehow. Something needs to be done for the Pacific Islands nations. And I don't, I don't have a solution, but something needs to be done there. But in its current format, no. I can't see, you know, for us to continue with the way that it is now is, is, would be madness. Well, yeah, look, just, just on that too, I've got a whole lot of friends who now on a Friday night, instead of switching on watching Super Rugby, just turn around and introduce themselves to their wives. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I know, I've sat here for 10 years. Oh, I'm John, by the way, I'm Mark, yeah. <laughs> but no, look, Super Rugby's dead and buried. I think South Africa should go play in the Northern Hemisphere. I think it'll actually benefit New Zealand rugby. I, I, I think, any, I'll say this, I think this New Zealand rugby's actually helped South African rugby. I think we have set that standard. Whether you, whatever you want to go historically, John, I'm not going to get into the history of the two countries. But oh, the last set... 25 years, it's just they've, yeah, the, yeah, the, but, they've just disappeared yeah. in the distance. But I'll give you an analogy. I'll give you a swimming analogy. You've got three lanes. You've got an easy lane, a medium lane, and a fast lane. Now, you're swimming over 400 metres. The fastest guy in lane four swims five minutes, 400. Everybody pushes to five minutes. Suddenly, a guy gets in who swims four minutes, 45. The guy that's swimming five minutes breaks five minutes and starts creeping up. You see it all the time when you lift standards. People rise. And so I think that's what's happened to South Africa. Look, the time difference, the games that we get, they're in the middle of the night. No one really gets up and watches them anymore. I'd like to see us go back and actually use our Mitre 10 Cup sides a bit more, use the history of them. We've got 14 very, very established provincial unions. Is there room for 14? Probably not. I don't think we've maybe got the crowd or the interest at the moment for an English Premier League type. And how you fund it, well, I don't know whether it's a private sort of partnership as well, but I think that we actually have to start celebrating our provincial rugby unions, build a competition around that. But yes, please invite the Australians in and please invite the Pacific Islands in. And don't worry about whether the Pacific Islands actually give you a return on investment. We do it for the greater good of rugby. We need to do it for the greater good of rugby. They have been, they have provided us arguably with our greatest ever players, the greatest number seven of all time in Michael Jones. It's all and, you know, so that's what's got to happen. I mean, you go back, think of the provinces like Horafenua, Wairapa Bush, all of these, you know, those those mm. internal tours. And, mm. and I know they're talking about it, but we used to say this on radio, get rid of this rugby championship. Let's bring back the tours. You know, in that, say, two years between the Rugby World Cups, we should tour South Africa, bring a midweek side as well, go and play the Greekland Wests and all of those types of sides and try and win a series of three tests in South Africa. Mm. Two years after the World Cup, the following time, it's South Africa who travels to New Zealand. So we go there once every eight years. They come here once every eight years, if that makes sense, you know. And that's how it needs to work. That's where the interest's at. You know, forget the northern damn hemisphere and trying to appease a couple of expats at 8 o'clock in the morning as well. Start going back and playing some daytime rugby. Start looking after yeah. the fans. Yeah. Guys, just before, just, before, just before we do wrap up, I just want to get a couple of... Uh, Ads in, just uh, remembering tomorrow night at 8pm, do you know sport? So if you've got a couple of mates and if you want to take on uh, on Paul in the challenge, do you know sport, 8pm on a Wednesday. And also look out for our cricket show on a Thursday night, Swinging from the Hip. Our host is Ashwin Ranchard. He has Robert Hanchard on and former New Zealand spinner, Taryn Nathula as well. Their show was a real success. A lot of people watching from America. Crazy. So a lot of Indian people who live in America watching the show the other night. So look out for that and also look out for the morning sports brief in the morning. But as we look to sort of uh, wrap things up here, John, just a, a final few thoughts on what we've spoken about tonight. I think, what I, two... 
Miss you I, too. I thought I'd let Watto go second because I know he'll be longer. Yeah, because be yeah. Um, there are two. There are two things that come to mind. One is, uh, what would I recommend to rugby lovers in New Zealand as we come back into normality, as as God willing, we come as a society out of seclusion into a more normal engagement with each other. What would be the best thing for the game, the game itself? And I would say, just like we spoke about, uh, and we've been encouraged to spend our money locally, to buy a coffee at the local coffee shop, to support the local trader, I would suggest that rather than, and this will not endear me to New Zealand rugby, rather than taking your money and saving it up for a test ticket, especially since if it's a test against the Springboks, you're going to see the, uh, the All Blacks lose and you don't want to go through that, um, is take that money and go down to your local club on a Saturday afternoon, buy, take your kids with you, engage as a community, buy them a couple of pies from the clubhouse, uh, maybe buy them a Saturday evening lunch, a, be a, a odd beer here, a few coffees, whatever, um, buy a few memorabilia, get engaged in your club community because that is the bread and butter of rugby in New Zealand. Take your hard-earned and engage your kids in the life of your local club. And if you're going to prioritize where you're going to spend your money, whether it's on a Sky subscription or a test ticket, whatever it may be, rather focus on giving that input and impetus into your local club. That's what I would recommend, number one. And number two, I would challenge New Zealanders. You guys spoke about it, about New Zealanders becoming uh, all-black fans. The one thing that stood out for me very strongly, before I got here, I suspected it four years ago when I moved to New Zealand, it was confirmed. When it comes to any other sport besides rugby in New Zealand, when it becomes comes to any other sport, the sporting fan in New Zealand is very gracious and very open to recognize the abilities and the greatness in players from other countries and to have a perspective on what is good for the game the game itself, not just the black caps, not just the white ferns, whatever it may be. There's an appreciation of the importance of other players and the, what they bring to the game and also what is good for the game. And I would encourage New Zealanders that rugby is great. The rugby, the game itself, which is such an incredible game, and all of us who've been involved in it understand the bonds that are built between opponents just what it means to be a part of this incredible game is to th start thinking of the game about what is best for the game of rugby and not what is best for the All Blacks. That's why I would say to you, you might think that if you take your money and you and instead of uh, you know subscribing to Sky or buying a test ticket, that's not helping the All Blacks. No, you, it's the wrong perspective. If you if you invest in your local club. You're investing in the game and the All Blacks will get better. The yeah, All Blacks yeah. will benefit, right? But treasure the game, not just the black jersey. As great as that jersey is, it's the great – not I was going to say this through gritted teeth here. It is the greatest jersey and the greatest symbol in the sport. As great as it is, the game is greater. 
Thank, well, thank you for that, John. Um, and yeah, look, I, I, look, I think rugby's gone, and I, I don't think you can turn it around. I don't think it's a short-term fix. I, I think the administration needs to come out. The broadcasters, those who the decision makers need to start demonstrating to the public that in fact they do care about us. Um, they need to embrace our opinions. They need to be far more open on it. They should just want the discussion. I mean, it's that old saying in broadcasting, isn't it? There's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. Mm. And that's what the game's missing in this country. I would go to a club game but and buy pies, but clearly you can tell I don't put two-stroke in a Ferrari, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but look, oh, did you... Did you ever win any medals? Mark, I just wanted to ask you, did you ever win any medals for anything? Because I wasn't sure. Oh, I've got a few, um, but it's not about me. It's not about me. Clearly, we didn't think so at all from the moment you put up your visuals there. Not at all. Well, normally I go this way in the house, but <laughs> I was too busy trying to – I've got a brand-new computer, and I – didn't realise I needed Chrome, was it, or something, and I had to download the bloody thing. And uh, anyway, um, <laughs> no. Look, if you're going to go and watch rugby, go and watch five and six year olds play because they play for the right reasons. Okay, mm -hmm. there's no politics, there's no booze culture, there's no, you know, just go and watch we rugby. Hope. It's really simple and it's quite pure. But I, I, I'll say this: I think rugby's in a world of trouble here, and mm. um, I, and I think. I think all you've done in appointing, firstly, Mark Robertson, I'm not sure how transparent that process was. I hear he's a good guy. I haven't spoken to him. Um, but that seemed to be a little bit of a, uh, the boys club is down, 80-odd applicants, and it just happens to be a guy who's on the board who people have talked about anyway getting it. And I've spoken to different people who have mixed views on him. Um, but I guess the proof's in the pudding. We'll have to wait and see. But having Ian Foster as all-black coach, it's just this whole stale time warp that we're just going through from Graham, Henry to Steve Hansen. And, you know, there's you want a guy who's going to come in, who's going to change it up. You know, you, you go through history. You go, Very few people are the Madonna of brands. And what I say by there, Madonna was hip in 1984. If she brings out an album tomorrow, you know she has that ability to reinvent herself and become hip. Mm. Unfortunately, in sport, there's been the odd ones for Alex Ferguson and stuff. Um that's not that easy to do. But mm. even Foster, again, buying into this, the All Blacks have got to have X amount of weeks off. You know, this is where the Players Association need to be held accountable too. Just says to me there is nothing fresh in his thinking. There are no new ideas. You know, you want the game changers. You want the Guns and Roses who came out and bridged the gap between glam rock of the 80s and grunge. You, you want the M&Ms who just turn, you know, hip-hop and rap and stuff on its head. They're game changers. That's what rugby needs right now. But not just at uh, not just at a at a management level, not just at a coaching level, but within the media. And I'm going to put my hand up to do my very best to give myself um, a voice again and, and bring like-minded people on. Uh, yes, certainly I went off the long run tonight and I sort of went out pretty damn hard. But people like me, love or hate me, you, you need radicals. You need people who are going to force some change, the Chris Rattus of this world. You need people who are going to challenge the establishment. You know, we don't always like the radicals. We don't, but they are the ones who do force change, don't they? Uh, John, just going back to you, I think the media could still be a lot harder on Jacinda Ardern. I think she gets a free ride here. I think this is a political campaign, mate. And um, I'm not as impressed as a lot of other people are. Do not kid yourself. This is all about re-election right now. Well, let me just say to you, I'm not talking about Jacinda Ardern. I'm talking about the difference that I saw in the way she was asked hard questions 
versus the way the people who run rugby, which is far less important, how they are treated with kid gloves, right? And so, hey, just be a cricket show in comparison. Just be a cricket show on Thursday, Steve. Just put a question forward for them. Is the definition of a warm up a cigarette, and is the definition of a warm down still a drink, or something? Or are they actually become athletes? Have they actually moved on to become athletes cricketers? <laughs> we'll put that question forward, guys. We we better wrap it up. Listen, it's been a fantastic. <laughs> in fact, we've actually gone for about an hour ten. But listen, a privilege and a pleasure to have both of you, gentlemen. Hey, I don't steal my lines. I know, I had to, mate. <laughs> I've got to steal some of it. Um, like I say, fantastic to have uh, both of you on this evening on uh, New Zealand Sport Radio, and hopefully we can go around and do it again. And if you're listening out there, just tune in, throw in, just make sure you like the Facebook, and also chuck us some questions. I can maybe answer some of your your questions. Thanks to those viewers and listeners who are on tonight, and don't forget you can, uh, you can pick up this uh, program on uh, podcast as well, which is on iHeartRadio. So thank you very hey, much. Steve, I've just got to go and put my kids to bed and then go and polish my trophies. Okay, you go and do that. What a good to have you on board. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you for the morning sports brief in the morning. See you, John. Cheers, mate. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.